What is up, you beautiful bastards? It is your boy Stromboli Shorty. I had to Google what that was. AKA Rap I Can't Lose, AKA Noah Kagan. Jake Tran is the future of entertainment. He is popular on YouTube making video essays about how the ultra wealthy evade taxes. I'm trying to find out how they do it. To videos about the economics of the mafia. Jake is one of these kids that started out watching YouTube from a very early age, wanted to do this as a career, and has actually made it happen uh, after a really long slog, and now has over 500,000 subscribers. If you've ever wanted to learn about how to iterate, find your audience, and become a full-time content creator, you're going to love this episode. There's three gigantic things you're going to take away. Numero uno, what business lessons we can learn from corrupt countries and enterprises like the mafia, how Jake was able to differentiate his channel when it wasn't working and actually grow now exponentially, and three, what Jake's research on corruption, greed, and the global economy, oh, that sounds so serious, has taught him about the future. Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash okdork. And go subscribe. Why are there so many subscriptions? They're all free though, don't worry. That's appsumo.com, the number one digital marketplace for entrepreneurs. So if you are buying or you want to sell software, books, or courses to other entrepreneurs, appsumo.com is your new homepage. Also, a special pre-show shout-out listener, Skeen Corey. They left reviews saying, great listen and lots of good information. Long-time listener, and I really enjoy this podcast. Noah provides entertaining, useful, and actual information. Highly recommended. Thanks, Skeen Corey. I hope you're getting some fresh pow. And thank every other one of you guys and girls for listening to this show. If you want a shout-out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to this. I check every single one of them. Jake Chan, it's a miracle. It's good to be here. It's great to it's great to meet you in person. Because yeah. I didn't know you're 22. You made me feel real old. I was <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like a dinosaur in this uh, internet stuff, man. Part of me feels like I'm still a kid. Part of me feels like I'm more of an adult. Shit, dude. What do you think of old people? Am I old to you? So, a lot of my friends are older. Okay. I seem to get along with older people a lot easier than people who are younger than me or my age. So, most of my friends are older than me. What can you teach us old people about the internet? About YouTube and content creation. I grew up watching YouTube because I remember us canceling cable as a kid just to save money. So it was a choice between whatever the free channels are on TV. I forgot what those were called, like the local <laughs> channels or YouTube. Yeah. So I grew up watching YouTube. And when you do that, you kind of just get a, an intuitive sense of how the platform works and what people want because you're just a devoted customer of the industry. So I would say advice for older people, really immerse yourself into YouTube and just watch it because you enjoy it. And once you do that, you'll start to understand like what works, what doesn't work, what people like, what people don't like, why people watch. So that, that would be my advice, just full immersion. Well, I think what's fascinating about that is like um, that most, like your generation, like are you a millennial technically? Yeah. Are you like even before millennial? What's the next thing after that? I think it's called Gen X. Gen X, really? I feel like they're, I'm confused by all that shit. Or Gen Z. You're like Gen Zero, do you like the next one? Uh, you guys literally grew up on it and like, one of the top jobs was becoming a YouTuber. I yeah. Mean, you've seen this, this data yeah. and stuff. So like, you're literally that person <laughs> and that you actually have a career. Yeah. Like you make, you make six figures. What I don't even know. You make like six figures doing this stuff. Yep. And that was literally the goal of mine because I grew up watching YouTube and especially in like middle school, high school, I started watching a lot of tech channels like Linus Tech Tips and MKDHD, Marcus Bramley. Both were still around right now. Both were still amazing. And I just got really sold on the idea of being a YouTuber and just having fun creating videos and getting paid for it. So, yeah, that was, that was the goal. Yeah. It kind of worries me because kids these days want to be YouTubers instead of like being an astronaut. Yeah. So maybe that's not a super good thing, but it is what it is. Well, how many of your friends wanted to do it? My friends? None of them, really. Like, I was thinking about this. How many people want to do it? How many people do it? How many people stick with it? That is true. It's a very, very small number. And 
I don't think any of my friends wanted to be YouTubers. I guess that's the same with any big career goal. Most people say they want to, but they don't do it. But it's a very small number. When did you finally like start making money that you could make it full-time? They're like, oh shit, I'm not going to get like, another job. So I was working as a part-time web developer at the time, remote from home. So I had a lot of free time on my hands. So that's when I really went hard into YouTube. And I was living with my parents at the time. And it was pretty stupid, but I quit my job. When I wasn't making much of any money with YouTube, I just went all in. Probably wasn't the smartest idea. It was good because I was living with my parents, so my my expenses were pretty much nothing. But I made it work. There's a benefit of that where you burn you burn the bridges on the ship. So the only way forward is to make it work or die. That was a big benefit. I'm not sure if I would recommend that to people. I mean, it works. Do your parents think you're crazy? I'm thinking like these Vietnamese immigrant parents. Definitely. They're like, Han, what? Like, what they would they like discourage? And then they're like, yeah, they have to tell if they're friends. Like, their son is a YouTuber. This is a really good, funny guy that makes like Asian humor. His name's like Steven or something, but he makes videos like that where my son is a YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, would your parents were they discouraging or they actually trying to encourage you? Yeah, so my dad was actually surprisingly supportive of me because growing up, I did Taekwondo, I learned guitar on my own, I did all these things on my own. So. I guess my dad saw that I could accomplish stuff on my own. Mm. So he was a lot more open to the idea. He still wanted me to go to college and stuff. He still would have preferred me to like get a doctorate degree. My mom was less supportive. Uh, she was definitely less supportive. But I mean, once you start seeing the money coming in, it's kind of hard to tell your son to, to like do something else. So they're like, okay, there's YouTube things. Well, how how long did that take from when you were doing it like with another job till yeah. you actually were able to support yourself? I say that I got a degree in YouTube because it took me around four years. So before this channel, the Jake Trent channel, I was doing Taekwondo at the time. That was all I knew. That's when I was watching my tech tips. And I really wanted to be a YouTuber. So Taekwondo was all I knew. So I started a Taekwondo channel. Grew that to around 5K subs in one to two years, which is pretty terrible. So I took a break from that. That's when I became went to college, became a web developer, then went back into YouTube. And overall, the, the entire time span from when I started that first channel to when... I was making decent money where I could support myself. It was around four years. Small break in between, but yeah, four years. I, I mean, I always like these stories for myself and others that it takes time. Yeah. Because I think we expect, we see the channel like, oh yeah, he's been on great videos. Of course he just is like, did yeah. that from the start. Yeah. There are very rare cases where people just explode right away. But most of the time, you know, you're entering into an entirely new industry. So it's going to take some time to understand the nuances and really get a feel for it and get into the rhythm. I guess one thing that I'm, I'm curious about because. But it wasn't between like a professional like yourself YouTuber and like an amateur YouTuber. An amateur YouTuber? Well, I was not amateur for a while. And I think the biggest thing is for some reason when we enter YouTube, we think it's different from other businesses. Especially me and a lot of people that I see struggling. We get into that kind of Gary Vee mindset where you just if you just put out content, you'll eventually explode. If you just keep going at it, you'll eventually snowball and explode. But what we forget is of course, you want to be persistent, but you want to keep improving every single time. Mm. You want to see like what works, keep doing that, think about what doesn't work, stop doing that, keep improving, keep experimenting. And most people kind of just do the same video, kind of like how Gary Vee started. He, he was making the same wine videos for like years and years and years without doing anything different. And I think it's a combination of you know being persistent and still you know using your brain. Henry Ford says the hardest job. Is thinking that's why so few so few <laughs> it's good, yeah yeah a big part of it is you know actually innovating 
actually treating it like a real business, not something that's just going to magically explode, even if you're still doing like the same shitty content. Yeah, 100% agree. I always think these amateurs, including myself, I mean, at some point with the YouTube, I don't even think we're at the professional level yet. I think we have a great team and all this stuff, but it's yeah. like, I think people think, oh, I'm going to put out a video. It's like, no, it's like, what topics are popular? How do you yeah. open your thumbnails? How do you do your titles? How are you structuring the scripts and things like that? Yeah, I think that the main difference is it's like people are like, I want to be a baseball player or I want to be any of these professionals. It's like that what it takes to actually be a professional is not like you go and have a camera. Hey, what's up, YouTube? It's like <laughs> the amount of time to make this content, you know how much yeah. it takes to, to put up the stuff. I, one thing I wanted to, to address and then get into some of the your, your specific content was early on, you kind of just copied, I guess, or you made very similar videos yeah. to Graham. So maybe talk about the early days and then how did you decide to evolve, uh, which then I guess exploded the channel? Yeah, so wh when I first started this channel, the Jake Tran channel, I was a big fan of Grant at that time. He was like my favorite YouTuber. I was really inspired by him because, you know, he showed his income and stuff. He was one of the main ones to make people to do that. And I got super inspired by him. I wanted to be like Graham. So I started making videos pretty much exactly like him. Like I told him before, I started out copying him. And what I realized was I wasn't growing. I was doing it for like a year. There was pretty much no growth. And what I realized was if I made the exact same video as Graham, same thumbnail, same title, same script, same the same stuff, the only difference with it being I was on camera, if YouTube shows his video versus my video on the homepage and you're a viewer and you're left with the choice to choose between Graham's video and mine, which would you choose? Graham's video where you know, you've seen his name before, you've seen his face before, you know the name Graham Stephan. His video has like 100k views versus mine has like 10 views. Which would you choose? 100% of the time, it will be grams. So that's pretty much why copying doesn't work. It's why copying doesn't work in other businesses, other industries, and why it doesn't work on YouTube. Because, you know, why would you go with some beginner versus some expert? So that's when I realized that I had to do something different. And yeah, it just wasn't working. So I tried some different stuff and eventually settled on the style that I'm doing right now. And once I finalized that, and it was something completely different that this business niche, this kind of like make money online niche kind of had never seen before. That's when it really started taking off because it was something that no one else offered. One question I get often is, is YouTube too crowded? Mm. And the way I think about it is, you know, if you look at the traditional taxi industry, would you say that's pretty crowded to get into? You know, if you start a taxi company offering the same stuff, kind of like the uh, thumbnail and title thing that I just mentioned, why would someone choose some brand new company versus one that has ratings, has experience, mm. you know better? But for some reason, there was still space, enough space for Uber to come in and Lyft to come in into a crowded industry. So that's how I view YouTube. If you just do the same thing as everyone else, then you're never going to grow. But if you innovate, if you come up with a new angle on things that is is different in a better way, right. then you have something else to offer. There's a reason for people to click on your video versus someone else's. When you first released the new style of the video, did it immediately work? It took a few tries. I think it was like probably a month or two before I released that video on Graham, why Graham Stephan is being, is killing the YouTube algorithm. And from there, I shared it with him. He shared it on his Instagram. Immediately got a few thousand views from his Instagram shout out. And from there, YouTube started recommending it. And within a few weeks, it got up to 100k views, which was insane for me back then. And from there, it started really snowballing. And it wasn't just because of the shout out. It was because I saw what worked again and tried to, you know, keep going in that angle and keep, you know, iterating and improving. Yeah, the videos, I mean, are amazing. Like, 
a lot of your videos, it's, it's interesting. They're almost kind of like mini business documentaries. Um, you focus on China, you focus on mafia. What are some of the, the business lessons we, you, you've learned from uh, like researching and making these videos like over the past few years now? So funny story on that. I didn't always make like China videos or like mafia videos. First, I remember the first like different take or different topic I chose was the first video I made on war, the business of war, or maybe it was the banking video. And at the time, I think I watched like some documentary on war or banking or a book on it. And when I was making it, I was like, Jake, no one's going to watch this. Who would be interested in the business of war? And I thought I was just going to tank, but I did it anyways because I was enjoying it. And now both the mafia video and the business of war video are some of the most viewed videos on the channel. The mafia ones over a million. I think the war ones close up there too. So that was interesting. Again, I saw that it worked, so I kept going in that direction. So I, I think what's fascinating is you're like, oh, I'm going to copy Graham, and then you're like, well, let me study Graham, and then let me actually go into topics that I'm that are trending and I'm curious about. So yeah. mafia, Chinese, like what what types of general business lessons for everybody out there have you kind of observed from uh, you know researching these things? Yeah, I actually just thought of something pretty cool. Copying Graham, what I did it worked. So Graham's style worked because when he first started, no one was doing that at that time at that moment in business. His style of, you know, sharing his income, talking on the camera about these things in his specific way, in his really authentic, genuine way, that was new. So at that time, that style was new. It was something new to offer to the marketplace. So it worked then. But as Peter Thiel says, a guy that I really like to listen to, every moment in business happens only once. So at that time, what he did was innovative. If you do it again today, you'd be copying it. So wouldn't it be innovative? So from the China stuff and the mafia stuff and the business of war stuff, like what were some of the surprising stories? I think the biggest thing to see from China is you can imagine China like a company. If you imagine the U.S. and China as corporations, China's corporation would be a corporation run by a hard-hitting CEO that has a final say in everything, has the final executive action. They can like take action and change and pivot mm. at any time that they want super fast. So they're a lot more agile. Whereas the U.S. would be a corporation that's run by a board of directors, that they have to waste time coming to a consensus on everything. Everyone has equal say. So they move a lot slower. So that's the benefit of an authoritarian government where one leader has the final say in everything versus something like a representative democracy that the U.S. is. It's literally like, if you imagine it as two corporations battling against each other, who's going to win? Well, the one with the CEO, like one single leader, is probably going to be a lot more efficient and move a lot faster than a board of directors fighting, fighting each other. Like, how do you figure out how much to learn? Right? Because there's the people who are yeah. like experts in China. Yeah. And then I guess, you know, you're approaching it as like an entertainer. Yes. Yeah. It definitely wouldn't be possible without these experts because that's who I learned from. I read, I read books, watch documentaries, watch YouTube videos. So it's kind of a balancing act. There's no like really set standard. It's until I feel like I know enough to talk confidently about this and I know enough to know that this is pretty much true. There's always like debates on the nuances, but until I have like enough certainty. Well, it's interesting. You're kind of getting paid to learn. That's exactly how I think about it. Yeah. That's one thing that I really love about what I do is, you know, all the stuff I've always wanted to learn about. I've always been interested in how war works. And now I kind of just get paid to do it. Yeah. And so I was just thinking like for Cooper, the guy who's helping film and for people out there, it's like, if you're interested in killing people, which you are, <laughs> uh, if you're interested in these other things, like 
there is an opportunity either to go kill or, <laughs> you know, my, or, you know, yeah. kind of create content around it yeah. where you get to learn and make a career out of it. Especially for videos like the Silicon Valley video, the Tech Monopoly video. Those are things that are actually useful to know that I got paid to learn. What were some of the insights from uh, the Monopoly and the Silicon Valley? So the Monopoly video, one, the tech monopolies like Google, Facebook, etc., they're all different from traditional monopolies where you create a monopoly by buying up all the assets of the industry, all these, the entire supply chain. Today, the monopoly is more of getting users to get integrated into your platform where it's really hard to leave. Google isn't a monopoly because they bought up all the search engines, not necessarily. Google is a monopoly because we keep using Google even though they do stuff that we don't like. Like, there's plenty of stuff that I don't like about Google, but man, their services are so damn useful. I mean, and your, your livelihood now is from Google. Yeah, and everyone else uses it. So Facebook wouldn't be very useful if no, no one's on it, but everyone is on it, so you ha- kind of have to use it. So that's the really interesting thing about these modern monopolies compared to the old monopolies like Rockefeller. So Facebook and China and the mafia and these different things in terms of the business lessons, like I guess in terms of creating a business, one, you can create a business learning and documenting what you're learning and making that in your own unique way, which I think is a really great point because even in our channel, I think we're putting out content that sometimes it's like, oh, we think this is popular stuff that's always bad. And it's like, doesn't work. People have already seen that versus like put out one where it's like, oh, how I retired early. I was just like, hey, here's some things that, you know, one, I don't think anyone should ever retire. And here's my journey about it. And that video is doing really well. So I guess in terms of these business lessons, what other things do you think if someone's starting a business or growing a business, be like, oh, like, for example, do you think it's better that people should be dictators in these companies or is it should it be a democracy? Do you think mafia in terms of doing corrupt things is good? I guess I'm like, here's how people can approach business from all the things that you've uh, been researching and you know exploring. Well, whether it's the mafia, whether it's China, getting countries in Africa in debt, all of them, it all comes down to solving a problem. So I think money is an outcome of providing value. So if you understand that basic cause and effect relationship, that basic equation, if you create value, you can get money for it. That's like the most fundamental thing. Because a lot of people, including myself, you know, you get in wanting to make money, but then you learn that if you're just purely selfish, chasing the money, you're never going to get it until you actually provide some value. For example, the reason why countries in Africa get in debt with China is because they're providing a value that they couldn't get from the U.S. or Russia. With the U.S., you know, you take loans from the U.S., then they come take your stuff, start a war, kill your dictator, uh, instill a democracy. But China is not doing that currently, or at least that's what they're saying. Same thing with Russia's, what they call economic hitmen. So China came in, saw all the downsides, all the pain points that these countries have to deal with, with the US and Russia, and just flipped it around and made a better offer, made a better product, mm. and sold it to them. What does that whole do? Like, they give money to Africa, and then Africa becomes kind of dependent, or like they owe them, they're like in debt to them? So, you co- you go into these countries that are less than developed, you offer to build them infrastructure, so you offer them a loan to build infrastructure like electricity grid, water lines, bridges, roads, basic infrastructure like that. The people in Africa see that, you know, they're getting jobs, they're getting infrastructure, they're becoming a more developed nation, so they, they take the loan. So China gives them the money. One common stipulation of these contracts is that you have to hire Chinese companies to build the infrastructure pro- projects. So it looks like you're giving foreign aid, which looks all altruistic and generous. 
So the money goes to the country, then it goes straight back to the Chinese companies. So the money kind of just goes in a circle. And then they're left with infrastructure, which can be a good thing, which is a good thing. But then they're left with debt that they have to pay off. And especially with the U.S., the U.S. used to do this first. Once they couldn't pay off the loans, the U.S. would come in, renegotiate the terms of the deal, take their resources, take their land, etc. They have their politicians under their control now. Mm. So it's called debt diplomacy. Oh, so do they get to run the country? Does China now get to do whatever they want in Africa? Because so, so, I'd be like, if I was Africa, I'd be like, yeah, I I'm not going to pay them. Like, it's, I'm not saying that Africa won't pay, but like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we're good. Yeah, so from what I've heard, the African countries actually like uh, the Chinese loans because they haven't done stuff like the U.S. yet, like killing their dictators, starting wars. But it's more about influence. Like, if I got a lot of money from this country, I'm a lot more likely to vote in their favor at the UN, stuff like that. And China is now kind of using Africa as China's China. China's overall growth is getting so high, their wages are getting higher, so their factories are now getting too expensive. So they outsource it to Africa. Where oh, do they really? Yeah. Yeah, so Africa is becoming China's China. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah, because I guess China was America's China for a while. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like everything. Like, even with your videos you mentioned earlier, you said, oh, well, now I'm hiring someone else to actually help me make my videos because you've created enough. It's become expensive or more affordable to hire someone else to do that. Yeah, exactly. What, what are some of the other business things that you've kind of picked up or stories like that? Yeah, so one cool thing about the mafia is the, the central role of government is to do a few things. It's to protect property. So, like, my stuff can't be stolen. It's to enforce contracts. So if we agree on something and you don't pay your part, I can take you to court and enforce that contract and to protect you from harm, from violence. So when you have a black market, when something is illegal, like alcohol in the bootlegging days, prohibition days, or drugs today, if I'm a drug dealer and someone steals my drugs, I can't go to the police. I can't take them to court. So someone else has to fill that role of enforcing contracts, protecting property, protecting you from violence. And something like organized crime fills that role of government where government has made it illegal. So that's like the business model of the mafia, organized crime, the Russian mafia, is to fill that role that government has left. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in local things, but like I only know from the movies where like they run the garbage trucks or they, they take money and protect local stores or something. Like what have you, what have, have you learned about modern mafia? So the modern American Italian mafia is kind of like a shell of its former self, but back during its heydays in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, yeah, like production rackets, they would go to local businesses and, you know, say, you know, pay us a protection racket fee every month or else. So we'll protect your store from vandals. Well, if you didn't pay, they would be the vandals. So is that still happening today or what's happening today? I don't think it's as prevalent as today. Definitely not, at least not in America. But wherever government doesn't fill that role, another person is going to come in and try to monopolize violence. Because that's what government, government really is. It's a monopoly on violence. Like they have the power to arrest you, take away your rights, kill you, etc. And they're the, the sole person, the sole entity that's allowed to do that. But if you're in the drug economy and the government isn't offering you protection, isn't offering you violence on your behalf, then someone else has to fill that role. So you've always been into this stuff? That's like something you've always been, like the violence and the guns. And like, <laughs> I know you, you're strapped a lot of the time. 
I've always been like naturally inclined towards violence, so I got into a lot of fights in middle school, like three fights or something, and that's why my dad decided to enroll me into Taekwondo to like calm me down so I don't become like a delinquent. Yeah. <laughs> but something about combat sports, guns, I've, I've always been naturally attracted to, and I feel like there might have been a lot of violence in my family's like bloodline because I'm absolutely horrible at anything, at any sports involving like balls, like baseball, basketball, volleyball, football, absolutely horrible at those. But I've always been able to pick up fighting, uh, combat sports, guns a lot quicker and a lot more naturally. Do you have people reach out? Like you put a video about like China's corruption or like do you have mafia reach out to you and like, <laughs> I get a surprising amount of people reaching out to me asking me how to evade taxes because I put out a video on how the rich evade taxes. That's pretty funny. I get a lot of people reaching out like, you should cover this that's happening in my country or I'm a Uyghur and I can share. A Uyghur. a Uyghur is the Muslim minority that's getting thrown into concentration camps, re-education re camps in China. That's what they call them. That's the ethnic minority. A lot of people like that reaching out. I just thought there would be people like trying to harass you or like attack you. Not yet. Not yet. Mm. That's a good thing. <laughs> you were saying, so, um, how, how, do, how do the rich avoid taxes? So it's a little bit different these days, but if you do it illegally, it's via like shell companies in tax havens. It's a little bit different today, though. Governments like the U.S. have cracked down on tax havens a lot. So it's a lot harder to do today. Mm. And I still have to research more of how they go about doing it legally. I mean, there's some, I mean, the whole, was the video more about like the Irish stuff? Or, like Ireland and. Tax havens like that, but more of the small tropical islands, like, uh, Seychelles. Puerto Rico stuff. Puerto Rico's legal. Well, I guess, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But more of the shady stuff that has changed these days because governments have cracked down on tax havens. What do you think with all the things going on that you've learned about China and inflation and all this different stuff that people can do to protect themselves today? So. What, one of my favorite modern-day philosophers is Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He wrote the book Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, a few other books. Incredible guy. I really like him because not only is he a theoretical person, like a philosopher, an academic, but he's actually like done stuff in the real world. He was an actual trader, options trader that was really successful at it. And one thing I learned from the Black Swan is we can't predict events. It's very hard to predict events. That's why forecasters are pretty much like always wrong most of the time. And if we know that's true, that we can't predict events, if you have like insider information, that's not really a prediction. So knowing that we can't predict events, we should position ourselves. Instead of trying to figure out what's going to happen, just position yourself to make sure that you come out on top, no matter what the outcome is. So if it's hyperinflation, head yourself against hyperinflation, but also just don't put all your eggs into like crypto or gold or whatever. Also, make sure you come out on top if there's no hyperinflation. So, I don't think my biggest worry would be something like hyperinflation or China. It would be more of being left behind as technology increases at, at a faster and faster and faster rates. One of my biggest fears is, you know the phrase, okay, boomer? Yeah, people say that to me all the time. <laughs> like Cooper said it earlier. So, one of my biggest fears is when I'm older, people will say, okay, millennial. Like, I'll be out of touch and like not understand the technology of the days. So I try to always stay, keep educating myself, keep learning, keep staying up to date with the latest tech, which is getting a little bit harder and harder to do. So that's my biggest worry, being left behind. Yeah. How do you stay up to date? Just always learning and always being curious. 
Where is that? Like on YouTube? Is that Twitter? Where do you, where, like, where did the millennials go? Probably YouTube. I've, yeah. learned, I've learned so much from YouTube. I learned how to play guitar from YouTube. Yeah, mainly YouTube. And if it's something that interests me, I'll go deeper with like books or documentaries. What do you think you're, the kind of careers you want your kids to have? Assuming you want to have kids and sleep in the future. Yeah. So definitely not thinking about kids until at least I'm 30. But I'm open to the idea. I used to be really against kids, having kids, because I just want to like live my life. But one thing Jordan Pearson said that changed my mind a lot on it is having kids is such an important part of the human experience that you don't want to miss out on. So I'm open to the idea when I'm older. And career-wise, for my kids, as long as they're competent and they work hard, I don't really mind. Because I think a big part of life is, you know how in school, there's usually like one smart kid in class. They usually don't have to study as hard as everyone else. They kind of just get it. So I think in your life, you should find that area where you're that smart kid, where you don't really have to compete against everyone else because you're just naturally inclined towards it. You have some inherent advantage over everyone else Mm. in that niche where everyone else is worrying about copying you and you're just kind of doing your thing. You kind of just get it like that smart kid in class. So whatever that area is, if they find it and they're good at it, I don't really care. Yeah, because I was thinking if your kids became a YouTuber, you're probably like, that's cool. I mean, we've been, we put out videos about like business ideas and job opportunities, like what jobs in the future. I'm curious which business ideas you've gotten inspired by uh, from all the different stuff that you've been exploring in business. Definitely the Technopolis platforms. I find that the most interesting because today coding is pretty commoditized. It's an expensive commodity. It's expensive to hire developers, good ones. But for the most part, anyone can learn to do it. So what's going to separate your little coding project from another one is how you market it. And if you have that platform advantage of having people sucked in into your ecosystem, kind of like Apple, kind of like Facebook, Google, etc. AppSumo.com. Absolutely. AppSumo.com. Check it out with the link below. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's that's the biggest advantage, being that coding is pretty commoditized. And so it's more thinking about what business ideas you can do to build up your own direct audience or your own, like, the ability to communicate to people whenever you want to create something? That's more, the platform stuff is more of, like, my personal interest. But, again, I think it comes down to, like, what business you should go into or industry. It would be the one that you're most naturally inclined towards, where you have the most inherent advantage. Because there's not many people out there that are all at the same time into movies into film, into war, into China, into geopolitics, into everything else that I talk about on my channel, it's pretty hard to compete against me. So you should find that area where it's really, really hard to compete against you. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like there's times, I remember two years ago, I was doing the YouTube stuff for three years ago, and I was I was putting out videos about how we're running our business and how we're making money. And it did okay. People watched it, people liked it, and it was good. But I see other people putting out the same content. And I know they don't have a business like like AppSumo. Yeah. And I was kind of like discouraged and also like, how do you stand out? But then I think it's also figuring out how do you just stand where there's no one else even standing. And hopefully, obviously, you hope consumers and people want to enjoy that. But it was definitely, I think I'm still working on that with our own channel. Yeah. And, you know, some people might be pessimistic and say, like, they don't have that niche where they have, like, an inherent advantage. But the way I think about it is our society today is built by humans. And you're a human, so it's probably a place for you somewhere. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think there's a place. I mean, what other, I guess one thing I was, was wondering earlier is like, what are the things about millennials that more people could try to understand? Like, one thing that you were talking about I thought was interesting is like, so much of your knowledge is from YouTube. Like, so, did you, did you finish college? No. 
I studied computer science. Yeah. Landed my first web dev job from a college friend while I was still in school. Did that for a while. Built a SaaS app because that was my first real take on entrepreneurship. Didn't work out at the time, but I, I leveraged that app to land a really good web dev job. And that is when I quit because that was my goal of college was to land a job. And I did it. So no, that is kind of the goal of college is theoretically to have, get work. And it's like you got it. So you yeah. But it, yeah, I guess it's interesting. So much your education. Like that SaaS app I built. I learned the basics of coding in college, which was super, super helpful. But the whole app was built from a Udemy course from this guy, Nick, for like 15 bucks or like 50 bucks or something. And I learned like this incredibly valuable skill of how to build a SASA from an online course. Just always educating yourself, especially online, mm. because pretty much everything is available online. So that, that's one thing. Anything else surprising as a boomer? What is old to you, by the way? Like what age is old? Straight up. You don't know how my feeling. I'm curious. Okay, I'll tell you my answer. <laughs> I don't know, probably like 40 and over. Yeah, I used to think like 30 was fucking old. I'm like, yo, that guy's hella old. I remember, I was, you know, I was working in 24, 20 at Facebook, and I was like, yeah, these 30-year-olds are old. <laughs> and then after that, I'm like, 39's pretty young still. Like, you look yeah. good. So I guess what other things can a, an older person learn from the millennials or try to maybe even understand better? One advantage that I think kids growing up today have over even me is they're growing up with even more technology. They're learning coding in school when I had to wait until I was in college to learn coding. So yeah, just really immerse yourself in the latest tech so that you intuitively understand it. Like NFTs, for example, took me like a day of studying to like really get a grasp on it, where a lot of people haven't even looked into it yet. So I think it's immersing yourself and staying like in touch with the latest trends and the latest, the latest tech to really understand it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like I feel like uh, it's like I feel like I can get outdated and then you're thinking you're getting outdated. Yeah. But I think that's also kind of the, the mentality to help you stay fresh. Yes, exactly. Because you're like, yeah, it's, it's not that you're always going to be chasing. It's also just interesting. Yeah. Right? Like learning NFTs or whatever the other stuff is. What other what other topics do you think are trending that you've been, been curious about? Definitely blockchain. I've been cr- procrastinating on learning more about it. I know the basics and stuff, but I want to get deeper into it. I want to learn more about actually like coding AI, coding neural nets and stuff like that. I've always wanted to learn that. I just haven't been a super big priority but again these are the things that kids are learning in school right now so they're they're gonna have that natural advantage i had growing up with youtube they grew up with learning all this other stuff more advanced stuff that us adults have to spend more time if we want to like compete have there been things you're interested in that's something i've always been kind of struggled with just like what i'm really interested in what i like to learn explore and then also like what's going to do well on youtube and like people want to consume so, like, I guess what things that you, like, what stuff has worked, but what stuff has, I guess, not worked for you uh, in terms of what you put out? Like, oh, people don't want to hear this. But, you know, you said business of war, <laughs> mafia stuff. Like, you were kind of nervous to put it out, and it did really well. I feel like every YouTuber has a story like that, where they put out a video that they don't think is going to do well, but then it does really, really well. So, I've had multiple instances of that with the war video, with the mafia video. And I kind of try to balance it between stuff that I really want to learn and stuff that's trending. And finding that balance. I feel like if I do training stuff all the time, I'll get burnt out because I'm purely just doing it for the views. But if I mix it in with stuff that I'm genu- genuinely interested in, it's a lot more fulfilling. What stuff has that been for you lately? Kind of the same topics that I've always been talking about. War, just different nuanced topics within it. Uh, geopolitics, economics. What are you things. most worried about? What am I most worried about? Do you get more worried making some of these videos? Like you see how these things are and you're like, oh shit, man, like get more guns. <laughs> yeah, 
I definitely get a little worried learning about this stuff, but it's definitely getting left behind. Because overall, even with all the tragic stuff that's happened throughout human history, if you look at it, it's been like a pretty pretty good climb up throughout time. And yeah, and that's just going to continue, especially with computers. And it's just going to keep escalating and growing exponentially. So my biggest worry is getting left behind, definitely. Do you do Twitter? No. Uh, I'm not a big fan uh, putting out my latest brain farts. I don't think, I don't think that's very healthy. Yeah, maybe. That's that's your impression of it, yeah? Yeah. Huh. I really enjoy Twitter as an... We should do, like, an older, young person kind of, like, discussion. <laughs> like, cool, not cool. <laughs> I do like it for following updates on, like, Elon Musk. Yeah. That's always fun. But, yeah, not, not super interested. Yeah. Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. TikTok? No. It's just going to be another thing that I get addicted to. I'd rather just stay away from it right now. Yeah. It's pretty much just Instagram, uh, YouTube. Yeah, pretty much. Any Facebook? I used to, but it's literally just like people complaining and posting stuff I don't care about. Yeah. So I like logged into Facebook the first time like a day ago. I was like, oh shit, I forgot about the site. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a weird, I mean, you didn't grow up with it, but like when I was in college and as, after I graduated, it was like, that was how you talked. Yeah. That, I still use Messenger. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, do you? Yeah. I almost, I've never used it. I almost only, well, I use WhatsApp and iMessage. Yeah. Yeah. I use Messenger, Signal. Telegram a little bit. Why do you signal and Telegram? Encrypted. What are you worried about? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I get it, too, at times. But is it you're, do you say things, or you're just, like, concerned that people are going to have? For, like, business colleagues, I, I usually just use Signal, just because it's encrypted. We talk about business stuff. Signal has a nice feature where your messages disappear after a set amount of time. Like, you can set it in a week. So, that's just good. It's good practice. I think people should be more concerned about their privacy. Uh, I would agree I mean, I had some weird experiences with it. I had a weird experience last week. This like really hot woman messaged me on Instagram. She's like, "Hey, I love your stuff." I was like, "That's cool." <laughs> and then she like was like, start talking. And then she sent me like her boobs, right? And I was like, it was on what? It was on Instagram now. And then I was kind of thinking like, wow, like if someone sees what I'm saying, like what if this becomes public? Especially now yeah. that I'm more of a public person. Yeah, you gotta be careful. And then if Instagram leaks that stuff, and then she was like, "Can you send me pictures of like?" Send me more pictures of you. Yeah. And I, and I was like, I just don't send pictures. Yeah. Too risky. Yeah. It's really risky. Yeah. And, um, and then a few days later, then she sent me like a naked picture. I was, I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't like, <laughs> send me nudes. Like, I don't, I don't do that. Yeah. But it was only like two days later that I realized, like, I think I was getting like, um, not hacked, but like blackmail. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, or like send me this photo and then they use that to like get something out of it. Yeah. I'm super paranoid about this stuff. Right? Yeah. Healthy paranoia. Like, what, why? And like, how do you protect yourself? Just not doing stupid stuff online, using stuff like Signal. I opted into Google's like highest s- security feature to protect my account because of the advanced protection or something. Okay, it's for people like us that have like a following or, or more have more notoriety and stuff. Yeah, that would be more susceptible susu- susu- to yeah. an attack. Just basic stuff like that takes like a little bit of extra time, but not really. So you might as well do it. Yeah, I had a guy, uh, like, a month ago, I hired him to, like, hack me, like, to see where um, I could be penetrated. Yeah. No, not sexually, but penetrated. <laughs> like, um, it was interesting. He was able to actually get to the end of a password reset. Really? Uh, within my Gmail account, because I had it turned on from the old days, which was, like, you know, what's your password reset question? It yeah. was, like, it was my father's middle name, which yeah. you can't find. He's from Israel. Like, you probably couldn't find it. Yeah. But this guy found the tombstone in Israel in yeah. a fucking cemetery. Yeah. 
So one important thing that you you should really do is to get a USB key where when you log into something like Google, you can set it up where you put in the password, then you have to actually stick in the physical USB key. I bought it. I just didn't do it. I have. I, I literally know, have it in I my know. backpack. I know. I bought it and I didn't set it up for like a month. But And then you finally set it up? Yeah. The only thing I was thinking about is like, what if I'm on my phone? So I'm on Android, so I have USB-C. So I bought like a USB-C one, but I can stick it in my laptop and my phone. And it has uh, NFC, so you can just stick it to the back of your phone, and it'll register. I have a friend who carries around on a necklace. Like, I was thinking about doing that with my crypto stuff. I haven't gotten hacked, thank God, yet. You should definitely do Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to get hacked eventually in that. Plus, I, like, put on some videos of how much I have and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's interesting. What other things have you noticed about, like, corruption or greed or the dark web? You did some stuff on the dark web? Not the dark web yet. Not yet. Maybe in the future. You didn't, I, I thought we made a video about Have you explored the dark web or gone to anything on that? Like, I watched videos and learned about it, but haven't made a video on it yet. Yeah. Maybe in the future, though. I think one thing I've learned about corruption and just doing horrible stuff is, you know, our brains have not evolved much in the last 10,000 years. So the same humans that committed the atrocities of Nazi Germany or the gulags in the Soviet Union or modern day stuff like imprisoning people in China. Those are the same humans as us. We're capable of those things. We like to think that we're like these altruistic good human beings, but we're, all of us have that dark side that is capable of atrocious things like that. Yeah. There's a really good book called The Murderer Next Door, written by an evolutionary psych- psychologist, a really big one, where he talks about how killing was a very good tool for us, was a very good survival mechanism back in the day. So we evolved to have that capacity to kill, and that's still in us today. So one thing I've learned from researching all these word videos <laughs> is that you should be aware that you're capable of these horrible things, and you should make sure it's in check. How do you keep yourself in check? Just becoming disciplined. Becoming aware that you're capable of it, and being self-aware, like, you know, I'm feeling kind of greedy right now. I'm feeling kind of selfish right now. Or I'm getting a little angry. So just being like self-aware. Man, I had some thoughts. I found a $100 bill on the ground today, and I was like, I should give it away to someone. And I was like, I kind of want it myself, though, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, that was very, that was this morning. Because I did give some money away recently. I've been trying to tip more. There's a lot of homeless people you could have gave that to. I know, but they're probably going to buy drugs or something. <laughs> I'm going to just buy drugs for myself and then share it with them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> buy it on the dark web yes. and then give the, the homeless people a, yeah. a bit of the stuff. Have you thought about like starting your own mafia or starting to do more corruption shit or like start your own country? <laughs> the illegal stuff? Probably not the best idea because I put out videos on that. So I would be like an obvious suspect. Other stuff, legal stuff is not out of the picture. Not the picture. Nothing, nothing right now. Uh, last thing I was kind of sort of curious about is just like the business economics of a, a content creator. That and also just like the process of how you actually made this a business. Like, what does that look behind the scenes? Like, what's inside the kitchen? It takes me around a week to make a video. That's why I only put out one video a week. And I used to spend like a few days researching and writing, doing the voiceover. Then the rest of the time would be editing the video and I'll be uploading it. So not super complicated. And then you said you hired people to now do it? Yeah, so I'm building up a team. I keep this stuff on the down low. But yeah, they help me out a ton. And I am addicted to outsourcing now, leveraging my time. I just realized the power of why people say other people's time is the most powerful form of leverage. Because that's like your whole lifeblood. That's it. Your entire life is the time you have. So if you can buy that, buy back that time in a prof- profitable manner, the price you're paying someone is less than the money you're bringing in, then 
you should really, really do that because you're buying back life. So I've been pretty, pretty obsessed with that lately. What do you find the most valuable so, in terms of like hiring other people? No, like an editor or was it, or like thumbnails? Like, so we have like, we have a thumbnail designer, we have an editor, we have a social media in-person producer. Like we have a lot of people relative to the amount of content we put out. Yeah. I guess you could say the same for me too. I have a few editors, a thumbnail designer, a virtual assistant. We're hiring some other roles right now, looking to expand. And I think it's just setting up systems in place where I kind of think of business like an algorithm, going back to my computer science days, where you have inputs. So you, people you hire, etc. And you should come up with an algorithm, a step-by-step process, where you get the same exact result, a great product out every single time. So that's tough. Yeah, how the fuck do you do that? I feel like we do these videos, I don't know, at least on our channel, it's like, I think we've gotten better, but it still feels so hit or miss. You kind of just get into the rhythm of things. You get get a sense of what goes viral, what doesn't. I'm still working on that. I, I wouldn't consider myself a master until I can consistently hit like a million views per video. When I get to that point, I'll, I'll consider myself a master, but I'm not there yet. I'm still working on it. But yeah, you kind of just get a sense of like what works, what doesn't. Part of it's like an art form. Part of it's like business. Yeah. What are you looking forward to with all this stuff? I know you said by 30, you want to either be like retired from it or you take all the money and go into something bigger, but like just in the near future, like what stuff are you excited about? The stuff you're exploring? In the near future, yeah. So one big goal right now is to start a backend business that's completely separate from YouTube that can operate like on its own. I can like market it as a separate product, separate company, where it's not so reliant on YouTube. So if something were to ever happen to YouTube, I have something else to fall back on. That it's, that's, it's its own thing. I can operate completely separate from YouTube. But yeah. I can also promote on my channel and stuff. So I'm working on that right now. Don't want to get into too many details because it's still in like the idea phase. Yeah. How are you thinking about that stuff? Just the non, non-YouTube non revenue. So right now you have channel sponsorships, which I assume might sponsor. Who are some of the sponsors? We have a ton. One of my favorites to work with is, is Magic Spoon, these healthy cereals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they're just so easy to work with. They have a great product. I love eating it. They just let me say whatever. They're yeah. super chill to work with. That's one of my favorite sponsors. And so you said you'd get about 50% revenue from that and then 50% from the YouTube ads. Yeah. I like the idea of like D, you know, hedging kind of like in the scene. Uh, how have you thought about what to create on the, like off, off YouTube? So, you don't have to describe what yeah. product, I don't care. I'm just more curious how you're exploring that. Cause I think there's a lot of people who are like, how do I make money in doing this stuff? Yeah. Like, what is the business of this? Yeah. So it's literally going to be a separate business in a different industry outside of YouTube, uh, that I can promote just like, I promote any other sponsor. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it'd be like, hey, here's a magic spoon, but you actually own the business. Yeah. But you'd want something like relevant to your content, I'm guessing. Yeah, something where it's still relevant to the audience. It doesn't have to be like about movies or video essays or war, but it's still promotable to the audience. Have you started building up the audience like an email list or like outside platforms? Yeah, so I've got an email list and Instagram. They're both pretty small, but relative to the subscribers. Are you doing anything with that? Not a big focus. For Instagram, it's really just behind the scenes stuff, they know that kind of stuff, memes, I say this pitch at the end of every video, and it's just what more, if you want more behind the scenes stuff, they know that kind of stuff, business memes, you can follow me on Instagram at jaketrend.io, and it's really just for like, the hardcore fans that want more of like, the Jake Tran stuff. The email list is really just for notifications when new videos come out every week, and whenever I have like, an important update. Do you email out every video? Yeah. You notice like a difference if you didn't do that? No. No difference. Oh, really? Because what I've learned is same thing with Instagram shoutouts for new videos, like swipe up to watch this new video. The intent 
of someone going on Instagram is to look at pretty pictures, short videos. The intent is to not watch long videos. So there's like a discrepancy between the intent of someone going on YouTube and going on Instagram. So it doesn't translate very well. Same thing with email. You don't really log onto your email. To go watch a long video. Yeah. Huh. Because we do an email for every video and I'm like, maybe we should test not doing it to see how it makes a difference or not. Maybe when you're smaller. Yeah. We're still, I mean, we're 140, so it's still like relatively small. I'll try it out. What, any other counterintuitive marketing things? It really comes down to like genuinely asking yourself, if I was someone that didn't know myself, would I watch this video? And when we start out, we're like really optimistic. So absolutely, I would watch this video. But in reality, it's no, it's boring. So just really being honest with yourself. Yeah, there's definitely videos I've watched over and over that I've created with our team. And there's times I'm like, I'm like, I'm not going to watch it. And those are generally pretty much accurate, which ones do well, which ones don't do well. Yeah, it is a struggle. Take track. Thanks for coming out. Awesome, man. Had a good time. That's a wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as I did. If you want to learn more about Jake, check out Jake Tran on YouTube. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's get a snow cone together. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. I love hearing from y'all. Also, remember to subscribe. Yes, another subscription for free to my email list at sendfox.com slash Noah. Uh, I send exclusive content to email subscribers about helping you on your business journey and fun. That's sendfox.com slash Noah. You know AppSumo. Come on, AppSumo.com. Number one set online for entrepreneurs. We have amazing deals on software to help you start or grow your online business. Or if you're making software or books or courses, go put it on AppSumo.com as well. We have a marketplace now. You can promote it to millions of people. Finally, a couple shout out to my amazing team, Jason at podcasttech.com. These episodes sound like crap. And then Jason puts it in a black box and he poops out amazing episodes. It's, I don't know how he does it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, Huber, Jonathan, Sasa, and Jen from the dork team. These people are the backbone and the front bones. They're all the, why am I so funny today? Finally, shout out to Jordan Alona and Nick at AppSumo. Thanks for helping landing a solid recruiter. They just brought on Lakin. Lakin, shout out to AppSumo. Thank you for joining the team. Have a magnificent day. What's your favorite children's book? <laughs>